I'm Asan, it's Friday, and this is the Friday Show, our round-robin of all things City from the last week. Joining me, as always, I've got the best co-pilot, the best wingman in the business, Mr. Howard Hawking. How are you doing, Howard? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Yourself? I'm very good. Firstly, apologies um, for our listeners. This is the second time this morning we're recording the Friday Show, as we did it once already, and then... uh, we had a significant technical meltdown. Well, I had a significant technical meltdown, which means that that fantastic Friday show episode is lost. So we're doing it again because... Including a two-minute discussion on eggs, which oh, yes. lost, lost to the ether now. So. No, 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 no. Can I be the first to wish you a happy International Egg Day, Howard? <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot to me. No problem. And the same what? to you. Thank you. Now, what is your favourite kind of egg? <laughs> Uh, sunny side up nice. poached so. poached fancy very fancy as well yeah. yourself me favourite kind of egg definitely not the bald Scottish kind um, <laughs> no I think that I'm definitely a soft boiled or a scrambled eggs kind of guy either of those two and I'm I'm very very happy um, okay well, there's a day for everything, so every show we do, there'll be something. Oh, brilliant. So next Friday's Friday show, you'll have to do some research and find yeah. out what international what day it is, international yeah. what thing day it is, and then we can we can That'll talk about that sorted, yeah. Hey, actually, you know what? This could be a great little uh, segment in our soon-to-come Ask Us Anything You Want podcast. Eggs. Yes, eggs yeah. and international days. And what is your favourite international day? What's your favourite international day, Howard? Pancake day? Is there an international no, beer day? don't like pancakes. Well, there must be an international beer day. But if there's an international cheese day, that would be the one for me. Really? Ugh, just eat cheese all day. Yeah. Mate, never had you down as a cheese lover. You'll have to come <laughs> visit me in Paris. This is, this, you'd be in cheese nirvana. In absolute oh, cheese amazing. nirvana, mate. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, um, let's look backwards at the week that was. I think the only place that we can start and should start is last weekend's fantastic, gripping nil-nil between City and Liverpool at Anfield. Um, Now, I guess I wanted to start by asking you, in the kind of aftermath of the game, there's been a lot of analysis about how City, or Guardiola in particular, compromised on his principles and took a step backward and maybe City were a bit negative in in the way that they played. Um, do you think that that's an accurate assessment of how the game unfolded when you look back upon it now? Do you think um, City were more conservative than they normally are? Yeah, well, obviously more conservative, but I think every I think most City fans were praying that that is exactly what we did. Uh, there was a lot of defeatism going into the match, uh, don't exclude myself from that because playing open against Liverpool is probably the worst thing you can do uh, and it, it needed a change Pepper's spoken before the match that you know hinted that he wouldn't change his philosophies and looking to entertain and so on and it felt like he was just going to go with the same approach and it was worrying that so to see him actually that that was a red herring, red herring and he went and changed everything uh, I was really pleased about that uh, as for how entertaining the game is, it's one game a year that I don't really care, to be honest. It's about the result. Uh, I, I don't think the game, the game, both teams, I don't think they were negative. They were cautious. They were scared of 
scared of leaving themselves open because there was such a wealth, considering that it was a nil-nil with very little, few chances, the wealth of attacking talent on that pitch you know, was ridiculous. And you can understand, therefore, why teams were reticent to come out and hand the advantage to the other team. So I think both teams, it was like a chess match, they were, they were guarded. And it almost worked for City because, you know, I think that second half slowly gained control of sorts. But, of course, in the end, couldn't make that count. Mm. Do you think that... Do you think the game played out as you would normally expect kind of a big Champions League game tactically to play out? Do you think that Pep... So, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is was that performance... Have you seen that before in the Premier League, or have you seen it before in the Champions League for City? Well, from City or anyone? From City and Pep in particular, since Pep has come in. If you look at the way we played against Liverpool, have you seen us play like that in the Premier League against anyone before? Uh, no, well, nothing that springs to mind instantly with my wonderful memory. No, <laughs> because Pep is always of the opinion. I mean, it was our. I think we had fifty-one percent possession, which is surely the lowest we've ever had. And I kind of like that, that, you know, it wasn't about dominating the ball possession and and perhaps allowing them to, to pick us off on a counter-attack. Uh, no, that's what that's what I like and about this, is that he's, he's developed a different tactic that isn't all about our attack, in a way. Uh, a bit of caution, you know, and movement on the pitch and where the players are positioned that have completely negated... Uh, a team who were, you know, in the Champions League, for example, I think scored the more, most goals ever in the competition in a single season. So, and to stop them from having virtually a single chance was, was I think, a great positive for City. Uh, has he done it? I'm, I'm assuming that you ask it that you can think of some occasion when Pep has done this. Uh, but, I, you know, personally, I hope it's something he does take into some of those tougher Champions League games because... It's not all about outscoring the opposition sometimes. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I guess that as the game kind of unfolded, my mind drifted back a few times to the City-Barcelona game at the Etihad in, oh, City, right. yeah. in Pep's first season in charge. I think we won that game 3-1. Um, but in terms of how we approached it, I think there's some similarities between that Barcelona team and this Liverpool team, in that that Barcelona team was Messi, Neymar and Suarez as a front three, and they killed teams in transitions. Um, They did play with a high press as well. And I think that on that evening, if I remember correctly, uh, De Bruyne and David Silva... I want to say that David Silva played as well, but I'm not 100% certain about that. But I'd certainly know that, that De Bruyne played. And he kind of played like... Bernardo Silva did uh, against um, against Liverpool in terms of dropping very, very deep to collect the ball. And just in general, on that particular evening, it felt like the perfect tactical plan. And it worked because we ended up beating what everybody thought was a Barcelona team that would absolutely murder us. Now, going to the Anfield, going to Anfield, I feel as though we paid... I think I think Pep paid Liverpool a compliment and paid them a res- the respect that maybe he hasn't shown anybody in the Premier League since he arrived in terms of 
putting a plan together that felt like a European plan tactically and that very much was about making sure that our shape was incredibly compact and correct, making sure that, you know, that you almost took the sting out of the game from minute one, knowing that the opposition wanted the game to be full of sting. They almost wanted it, you know, yeah. that Barcelona team were at their best when football matches were basketball games that just went from end to end because they're just murder. And this Liverpool team are similar in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, I, although I felt a week ago in the immediate aftermath of the game that it always bristles me with when people, always rubs me up the wrong way when people will say, ah, oh, Pep was negative or, you know, Pep was conservative because it's not really in his nature to do that. But I do think it's fair upon reflection to kind of look at the way we set up against Liverpool. And that was out of the ordinary for Pep. It's, it's certainly not something that we've become accustomed to uh, since he arrived playing at that tempo. Um, yeah, just feeling as though, you know, the fullbacks were very, very, very restrained. They were both basically on leashes. Um, that kind of stuff, I think it's not something we've seen a lot of under Pep. Um, let me ask you something, though, then. Are we not giving Liverpool enough credit for their improvements this season and how good a side they are? If we're kind of... I mean, I've just drawn a comparison with a Barcelona that had Messi, Suarez and Neymar peaking two years ago. Um, and I don't think we've really talked about Liverpool in that manner. So... Are we not giving them enough credit for the improvements they've made on last season and actually what they represent in terms of being title challengers, not just today, but over the next two or three years? Yeah. Before I answer that question, can I just say uh, that this recording is slightly cursed because we lost the first recording and there was a leaf blower during that one anyway outside my flat. As you just asked that question... The window cleaners just arrived and is cleaning the windows right in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I can hear the leaf blower back again in the distance. Oh, so now if Storm Callum hits during the second half of this uh, this podcast, then we know we're just done for. So oh, mate, we're I just apologise for the, squeeze, the squeezy noises just if they're coming back around right now. <laughs> I just can't believe how many <laughs> I just know now something's going to fly into the window. But uh, in answer to your question, I think they've been getting plenty of credit, to be honest. I think even before the season started, uh, they were widely recognised as they would be the main challengers for us this season. And it may still turn out that way, of course. I think everyone acknowledged that they had a huge problem with the goalkeeper. They spent big on that. Cater's come in, of course, at last. Uh Van Dyke's there, of course, and I, I don't think really that anyone has underestimated them. It was widely acknowledged. I mean, obviously they got to the Champions League final, but they were what twenty five points behind City. But well, that's people say you have to catch up twenty five points. Well, you don't. It's a clean slate when the season starts, and I, I very much doubt we'll get hundred points again. So if we don't, if we get ninety, it's fifteen points they have to improve on their previous season uh, and I th you know what, what can I say I just I think they've got plenty of credit throughout you know from what I've seen online uh, and yet I don't I'm not sure you know if you ask a lot of their fans or 
the reviews of their performances. They're not at the top of their game yet, and maybe we're not either, but they're there, they've got the points, so they're getting the points, and that's the important thing. I don't think there's any doubt. What we don't know, I still think with their intensity and the way they, used to, they did play in bursts, maybe they're doing that less now. With a better-rounded squad, they're not playing in bursts. They did seem to be suited to cup competitions, even though, of course, Klopp's not actually won anything yet. Uh, so, only time will tell if they can be consistent over a nine-month period, because it's a completely different, you know, ball game, really, doing that over a sustained period. Uh, but so far, obviously, Chelsea are a bit, a bit of a surprise package over there as well. But so far, they've not really surprised me. I expected them to be there or thereabouts. Okay, fair enough. Um, a couple of other things from that game. Actually, a couple of individual performances that I wanted to talk about. We'll, um, we'll do it the other way around this time, because the first time we did this pod, we went with Mendy first. So we're going to go with Laporte first this time, Howard. Um, now, I feel as though, although we've been talking about Laporte probably since he came in on the podcasts, um, I feel as though in the wider football world, his performances are going seriously under the radar. And what I mean by that is Mamadou Sacco has been called up to the France squad and Laporte wasn't for this international break. And I find that almost beyond impossible to get my head around. Is there any politics behind that or anything? Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. I've never seen any... Do they feel he's not committed to the French? Because obviously... Spanish links, so, you know, I don't know as a feeling that he's not as committed as others to the cause, so to speak. Well, I mean, uh, I, honestly, it can't I don't, be on ability, can it? I exactly, that's, that's, I guess that's what I'm getting to, that when you look at the performance, the, the kind of, you know, understated commanding performance that he put in, is that an oxymoron, by the way, understated commanding? Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, we'll, we'll run with it anyway. We'll run with that. So he's been he's been understatedly commanding since he come, since he's come in. Yeah. Um, and even just the performance against Liverpool, you'd think that somebody somewhere would take note of that and then kind of be like, "Hang on, he's genuinely a world class centre half. Why are we not picking him?" So, uh, firstly. How good do you think Laporte actually is? Are we? Am I overhyping him already? And secondly, um, in terms of this kind of idea of recognition, is it important that Laporte is recognised, or is it better that he continues to fly under the radar from a City perspective? Yeah, I'll answer the second one first. I, think I, I couldn't care less. Well, couldn't care less. I'm actually quite glad he's going under the radar. Don't, we don't need the attention. We don't need articles raving about him. Just let him do his thing for us. There's probably less pressure for him if he gets very little attention. So I'm fine with that. We don't, you know, unlike some other teams, we don't have to big up our players and decide that they're all the best in the world in their Me position. Right, no, no names. Just hypothetically, we don't need to do that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about you, Bolton fans. <laughs> Just, yeah, I mean, what if he plays well, we don't, you know, that's all, all we care about as City fans. Even, probably not, he'll not be happy about it, but even better for us if he doesn't get called up for his country because it's good for his club, of course, so Pep will be happy if none of his players play for their country, but obviously that's not the real world. 
how good is he? Well, I know, I know he's. You feel sometimes this city team's so dominant with the ball that we don't really test our defenders, and that, you know if they really had to defend for ninety minutes, we don't know truly how good they are in the way that we don't truly know how good the shot stopper Edison is because he's not had a lot of shot stopping to do. Uh, but the fact is, Ed, and I think even Laporte's talked to him last week that he's he's trying to improve himself in the mould of a modern defender, not, you know, the game's moved on. It's not all about last-ditch tackles and it's it's about passing, positioning. And, yeah, he's he's the first name on the team sheet for Pep every week in a squad of superstars. So that says it all, really. Uh, yeah, it's just graceful, classy, and, as you say, understated performances. Uh, exactly what you want. You want... S- Stability there in that that position. It's such a crucial position in the team, and uh, yeah, I think we said in the original recording that kind of glad we signed him in. I always said that he was a summer signing made in January because you know, Pep and the board knew that the World Cup was on. There was a short transfer window that finished before the season started, and I think that's helped a bit as well because he did go straight in the team, and he's got a little run up at this season. And he's all the better for it. Yeah, just absolutely seamless. Uh, I can't say I knew, you know, I was an expert on him before he came. I knew he was a, another ball-playing footballer. But he was playing in a struggling team in Spain. Uh, you know, they hadn't had the best six months one year. And he made a few mistakes along with everyone else. So there was concerns there for that price. But, yeah, at the moment, he's just totally on top of his game. Mm, I think... Uh... I think in terms of, I, I actually think that it's a shame in the end that he bottled the move in 2016 because I wonder how that season unfolds if Stones and Laporte are both available to Guardiola throughout the course of that season. Um, I guess we'll never know. But um, yeah, yeah I mean, I, he did have an injury at the time as well. He did say part of the reason was I'm carrying an injury. It's just best that I stay where I am for now. Yeah, so, yeah, I know about my fitness, so yeah, yeah. maybe, but yeah, it's a shame it took two years from then on, but I don't know. There's a lot. Of, it's Pep's first season. I don't think it would have panned out any differently if we'd had an extra signing or two. I think it was more down to getting his principles across, and that takes time. Yeah, him, do... him adjusting to uh, the English league, of course. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair shout as well. Although having, you know. For example, that Barcelona game, it's the back four is Sabaleta, Kolarov, Otamendi and, and John Stones. I think if you had Laporte as an option either for the left side of the defence or even for, for the left-back position over the course of that whole season, maybe I feel we finish closer um, to the team who finished first and not so close to the team who finished just below us in fifth. Um Okay, so the other player I wanted to talk about briefly was uh, Mendy and his performance and, you know, just how we deal. I mean, we've talked a couple of times on podcasts about Mendy, but I think the thing that struck me looking at that Liverpool performance was that, you know, just how important he is to this team, how he can be out of the team for three weeks, supposedly injured, supposedly only trained twice, and yet turns up at Anfield and puts in a colossal in my opinion performance um how do you deal with with a conundrum like mendy where it goes without saying that 
Everybody loves him. The coaching staff love him. Pep loves him. The players love him. But at the same time, my guy's, you know, three hours late for, for injury rehab, has been late loads of times for team meetings, has got this larger-than-life personality. Is this something where in the next phase, when we come back from the international break, you'd like to see more of just head down Mendy playing football? Um, and do you think it's even possible to tame a personality like Mendy's? Fully tame, no. Uh, Reigning is probably what we're looking for here. Uh, as I've said before, I don't, if he's fit and he's putting performances on on the pitch, I have no interest in what's happening off, off the pitch. I rarely do with any players anyway. Uh, that is Pep's decision. That he's the man manager. Any manager of a football club has a range of different players, characters, personalities. Some are outgoing, some are introverted. Some need a kick up the backside. Sometimes some need an arm around them. That's half the manager's job is knowing how to deal with these players. If he starts giving... Pepe's not a, a manager who's going to give players leeway anyway, cut them some much slack. He has strict rules and no player is too important to be allowed to get away with that. And if they do, it could cause problems, ructions with the rest of the squad because they see a player getting away with more than they are. I feel Balotelli fell into that uh, in that category a lot of the time for a lot of his time at City I think Pep will not let anything go but that's his call he's got to juggle you know spin a lot of plates and he's it's up to him to decide how to deal with it what my feeling is he won't let him get away with much there's a certain level of professionalism that you need from players fine he'll be fine with characters and you know japes and all that stuff and social media I mean I know he don't like social media but I think Pep accepts that it's it's obviously going to happen. He's not going to ban all that. Uh, he may ban it within the training ground, but he's not going to stop players just you know altogether for going on the internet and doing stuff. This is the modern world now, but you know he'll have his limits. And the, one of the main problems was he, he was late for a rehab session. And punctuality, I think, is an area where there is no leeway whatsoever. Mm. That is a it's a key sign of a a player taking the Mickey. So you know, unprofessionalism is. It's a lack of uh, punctuality for meetings, for training, for so on. One-offs, two-offs, that's fair enough. Repeated stuff, that's going to be a problem, a big problem for City if he starts doing that. And he, But he doesn't look like a troublemaker. He looks like, you know, not a sort of guy who you think's got a chip on his shoulder and is doing it on purpose. So it's all manageable. It just needs Pep to, to rein him in and watch over him in a way. But as I say... You know, I've already said all I care about is how he's playing on the football pitch. Hmm. I pay very little attention to anything else. I go along with that. I just feel as though um, after this break, I just want to see Mendy on a football pitch in as yeah. many games as possible. Yeah, head down, affecting big games. We've got United and Spurs coming up. Both those games, I expect Mendy. His position, his <laughs> performance will be absolutely crucial. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to see him playing as much football as possible this season. So him turning up late for team meetings, for rehab, that kind of stuff just isn't going to fly. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we're through that. And after this international break, he'll properly, uh, properly, properly put his head down. Now, speaking of this international break, Howard, um, a lot of players didn't actually go off 
on international duty. Uh, which of our team didn't go away this time? Uh, right, I'm counting eight here. Aguero, Mendy, Laporte, Delph, Gundogan, Silva, Fernandinho and De Bruyne. So you've got, obviously Delph, Gundogan injured, but we hope by the end of the break should be fit or close to fitness, full fitness. Uh, De Bruyne obviously injured, but again, surely on the brink of being back. Aguero, good he wasn't picked. I don't know if he, he's had a heel problem. So again, brilliantly it gets two weeks off. Whilst uh, Argentina are doing some cash cow tour in the Middle East, I think. Uh, Mendy, again, was left out of the French squad because he was injured at the time the squad was named. But, of course, we know he's fit now. So, that's great. And Laporte and Fernandinho, you know, they play every week. So, really, they get time off because we're pretty sure they need it. So, it's a really good eight set of eight players that we've got there. Uh, We've got, you know, not playing international games in the next two weeks. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think it's huge. I think if you look at the, um, if you look at the run of fixtures that we have coming up after this international break, in many respects, it's kind of money time. Certainly in the group stages of the Champions League, um, got the away Shakhtar tie coming up. In the Premier League, we've got Spurs coming up. We've got United coming up. It's just it feels like the games come relentlessly. They come thick and fast. We've got the League Cup coming up after this break. Um, so to look at those that collection of players, I mean, you'd expect Aguero, Mendy, Laporte, Fernandinho, Silva and Kevin De Bruyne are six of our best 11 players. So to have six of your best 11 players, for whatever reasons, being able to do rehabilitation or just to be able to rest rather than going away on international duty right before a run of fixtures that basically is going to take us through the Christmas period is uh, is yeah. yeah it's a very positive thing for me it's kind of crazy when you think about it we've had no De Bruyne and he's yeah. back after this break yes it's, uh, it's um, it's just it's it's something that whenever I remember it I'm like oh man we've got Kevin De Bruyne to come back I just think it I mean, it's, yeah well, it's Burnley at home first and I don't know maybe I, I doubt we'd be started that game but don't know where the training's at, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the bench for that. Isn't it Spurs? Isn't it Shakhtar and then Spurs after Burnley? Yeah. Okay, so... I think, yeah. I would... Ex- double-header with Shakhtar, obviously, so away then home. Yeah. yeah. But Burnley's our very first game next Saturday, so the question is, you know, De Bruyne. I don't know. I expect... I would hope I'll see him on the bench that day. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to call with Pep. Always, I was going uh, yeah, to rotate. 20 minutes, yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so under 21s played last night. Phil Foden, I believe, got some absolutely rave reviews. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Uh, under 20, it's debut for the under 21s, and I didn't see the game. I've seen nice little uh, assist to help Solanke, who rounded the keeper and scored one of the goals. Playing Andorra, I think it might even be one of their under, tw- under 21. Uh, what's it, under 21s? team of theirs not very good 7-0 so uh, they've qualified for the finals with a game to spare uh, yeah for you know he just settles into I mean just reading what everyone said he just settles in plays his normal game skillful usual energetic self uh, crisp passing and it just as if he's played for them for years you know just this is a debut for the under 21s question is now of course how long 
if he progresses, keeps playing like this, stays fit, how long will he stay in the twenty ones, or will will he at some point be fast tracked to the senior team as well? Uh, there's no urgency for that to happen. Uh, just let him keep enjoying playing football, uh, and you know, if he stays within the twenty ones, get to play in the finals again at another youth level. So though that's some way off. So yeah, just great to see that whoever he plays for, he just keeps doing the same old thing. Mm. Um, in terms of the kind of the fact that he's playing at the uh, under twenty one level, and Madison and Sancho of of uh, we'll talk about them in a minute, but obviously they've been they're playing in the main England team tonight. Um, is that cool? Like, are, are we? Should we? Is this a situation where everybody should just relax about Phil Foden, and we shouldn't have? We shouldn't even be putting the pressure on ourselves to have conversations about how he needs to get more minutes, and we should just almost let nature take its course. Yeah, I mean, I want want to play football, but I certainly don't think the loaning him out is going to help in any shape or form because you're not even guaranteed to play football anyway. And playing it under a different manager, a different style. No, there's just there's no real need at the moment. Yeah, it's just it's just. No need to rush him into the first team. He's, you know, he's eighteen, so you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, if he could just keep slowly improving, he'll slowly get more and more minutes. Quite simple as that. Yeah, you know, lots of senior players have been eased into this team. Very true. You know, it's no different with him as he matures into a, a fuller rounded player. Mm. Um, and the other player who was on show last night, who I wanted to talk about, is uh, Bernardo Silva, who scored a apparently world-class goal for Portugal. Um, Is Bernardo realising, I don't want to say realising potential, but is he now fully adapted to Manchester City, to the Premier League and to England? Yes. Okay. And (laughs) if you look at... No, I mean, I'm interested because Pep said... um, it was not a month ago that Pep said, well, he's a right-sided forward, but he can play in the middle. Now, when you look at Bernardo and the level of performances that he's been putting in since De Bruyne was injured, and also how influential he's been playing in those positions, when KDB comes back, how do we... What is the... I don't want. I don't want to put you in a position where you've got to choose between the two silvers. But you're but going to. You have to choose between the two silvers for the Spurs game and also the Man United game. Which side do you fall on? If we agree that the front three will be permed from Mares, Leroy, Raz, Aguero, and Jesus. Where does that leave Bernardo and how are you going to deal with those two big games? Can't do that to me. I don't, I have no answer. It's why you get paid the big bucks, mate. You've got to make these decisions. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I mean, li- my, my thought is he moves. I think there's a hierarchy in the middle that if he wants to play both silvers, David Silver does not get moved out wide anymore. That's never happening again. David Silver plays is in the middle. Uh, so it's Bernardo would still be the one that moves out right. How does he play the game? I think he may not perm you know, three of that front that list that you've given me. 
and he might move Bernardo out right again. Would be my thought. So he plays both of them. Who's uh, hand on heart? If we'd never seen the players before this season, Bernardo Silva would get in ahead of David Silva on just form in the last few weeks. Yes, Not that David Silva's doing anything wrong whatsoever. No, but I just but I think Bernardo I... Silva is the first choice on the last few weeks. But yep. we know David, but David Silva is David Silva. Yep. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, what more can you say? It's There, there is no, there's no decision. I mean, I don't know. I'd probably choose one, one each for each game. But, I mean, it's a good dilemma to have. But my honest opinion is it'll probably be more likely to drop one of Sane or Sterling and play both of them. I don't know if that's sustainable once uh, De Bruyne comes back because I don't know how you convince Mares, Sane and Sterling that they're important players mm. and then tell the three of them, but Bernardo Silva's better than the three of you, so he's going to play in one of those positions and the three of you can fight for one spot. I'm not seeing that, to be honest with you. I don't think that's realistic. Um well, I was looking at a two-game period. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I do, I do see... Someone it. will get injured, someone will get suspended, blah, blah. Yeah, there'll always be someone out that's most points. Uh, and in some way, that's a blessing to a manager when he's got this much. Because if Pep Guardiola, or 100% of the season, has a 100% fit squad, he really would have some problems there. Because totally. he simply has to drop players. Yeah, and I think or rotate, also, rest, whatever. Yeah, you know, not being dropped as such, are it? So. Yeah, I, I think I think also Howard. I think that we have to be um, we have to be realistic in terms of going. We're just really, really, really lucky to have yeah. David Silva and Bernardo Silva <clears throat> playing for our club at the same time. To have one basically being the heir to the other's throne. I mean, it's I, just it's just, go on. No, just remember, you remind me that uh, Pep did say, I think towards the end of last season, David Silva will play fewer and fewer minutes over the next two years. Obviously an age-related point he was making, not a, not due to tactics or form or anything. So my own, honestly, you know, with... <laughs> it, you know, it's, it hurts me to say it. I think Bernardo Silva is perhaps will become the first choice by the end of the season. Mm, I think it's going to be David Silva. So I think it's going to be very interesting. And I think that, uh, I don't know how you make that decision because no. David Silva, his performances are at absolutely peak level. Do you know what I mean? He's doing the goal that he scores against Hoffenheim. How important is that? And where is that in the game? And how does he score that goal? And what does that say about his fitness levels and mentally how sharp he is um, the performance that he puts in and the work that he puts in off the ball against Liverpool all of the stuff that he does that people don't see against Liverpool tactically it's absolutely off the scale so I mean you know my dream is that KDB comes back and Pep goes you know what why don't we try a midfield three of De Bruyne, Silva and Silva and we'll play a front three and yeah Fernandinho you can have a rest it's uh, it's mental, but maybe maybe at some point we'll see something like that. Um, well, games, yeah. I mean, it's too soon against Burnley, but that sort of game, that you know, they might you might decide they don't need a defensive midfielder, but that's a bit 
you know, it's a bit cocky or arrogant. If bit you, football if manager. Yeah. It is a bit football manager. To be honest, I think that you could almost make the argument that if you're going to play with a back three and you're going to play with Walker and Mendy as your wing backs, then you can get away with that, yeah. those those three in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because they're um, moving to the middle as well. But. Exactly, exactly. It would be uh, it would be an interesting way of dealing with it. Um, okay, so. England play Croatia tonight. Firstly, that game's behind closed doors, right? Yeah. Okay. You need to Google, as I'm going to do, Croatia's swastika, which is not probably a common Google. Uh, yeah, two games behind closed doors because those with an eagle eye noticed the swastika symbol was marked on the pitch before their qualifier against Italy in 2016. Marked on the pitch? Yeah, where it came from. I don't know if it was ever found out. But there was a swastika just etched into the grass. Not hugely obvious, but you could see it from certain angles. Uh, I don't know if it was just that. A racist chance, Croatia. This is not new for them. Uh, so, basically, yeah. Just their fans being racist arseholes is generally the theme of why we're playing a game behind closed doors which okay. I think is the first in England's international history that will have done this so the first time ever obvious joke uh, John Stones will feel at home anyway in an empty stadium <laughs> could have gone with Carl Walker but yeah or Raheem Sterling <laughs> yeah yeah you know, you get the gist. Our lads have got an advantage, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I like that, Howard, very nice. Um, look, so the big news in terms of <clears throat> the call-ups were the three young lads, Mason Mount, James Madison, um, and Jaden Sancho. Firstly, let's talk about Sancho. Where does Sancho play? Where does he play for Dortmund? And in Gareth Southgate's three five two ish formation where do you think Sancho plays or does Southgate now have to change his formation I'm not an expert on where he plays to be honest it's probably it's, it's, I think he's as interchangeable as like, someone like Raheem Sterling to be honest so you know thought of an inside forward on the left side and more of a right winger on the right side obviously he's been a super sub for Dortmund and I think he may have started the last two uh at first, he was thought his play was far too wild, so it was, you know, too playful. I think was what someone called it at the club. So he could do something with his amazing pace, turn of pace and acceleration, but then do something ridiculous. But now he suddenly, you know, seems to have clicked into gear. Uh, interesting that the Bundesliga record for assists is held by a certain Kevin De Bruyne with 23, I think, uh, and Sancho having picked up five already from the substitutes. Mostly from oh, all from the bench, I think, might be eyeing at the tender age of what is he still eighteen? So, uh, yeah, it's. So what does what does Southgate do though? What does Southgate do? Yeah, well, we don't play. I think with we've talked this off air. We're thinking with you know how exciting would it be with Sterling and Sancho on either sides? Uh, we go back I and mean, we discussed. You know, does uh, you asked off air? I think or in the notes. Does Southgate have to change his plans to do that? And he absolutely does. When I look back at that World Cup, 
we got to the semi-finals, that's great. And there was a lot of positivity about it all. But I still felt those those front foot, like Ali, Sterling, Kane were all stifled by those team formation. I don't think any of them were allowed to play their natural game, the freedom to play it. And, you know, we can all just say, oh, Sterling's rubbish for England. But so was Kane and Ali, and it's not a coincidence. It's I feel he needs to progress it into a more... Uh, attacking side to be honest because mm. we had no threat from open play whatsoever in that World Cup it was all set pieces and a solid defence and that's not really going to sustain us in the coming years especially if it's true that we do have this absolute wealth of talent coming through as it seems we have you know, in all areas of the pitch so I think and I saw someone compare it with Liverpool an article a couple of months ago you have that workman like midfield and he says Delft should be the one on the left side of that by the way mm. I can't remember where you know it was a tactical football yeah, yeah. site uh, so you have a you have a Henderson Delft you have Dyer maybe I don't like Dyer but yeah just random names uh, they do the grafting they supply an electric front three with the likes of and we're getting ahead of ourselves with Sancho but you know long term Sterling Sancho Kane maybe Ali in there you is an area I'd like to see trialled and uh let, you know, having a have an electric free roaming front three uh, and a workman like uh, def- uh, midfield behind them. So yeah, see, I don't one even way, think one way to go. I don't even think you need to be uh, to have a massively workman like midfield because I think that actually what he's done with the what he did with the the three five two or however you want to describe it um, was that he played with one holder and then he played with Ali and Lingard basically as the two number eights and I think that what he should do is he should go almost invert that slightly and go I'll play with two that have got legs and have got more of a defensive sensibility so for example you play with Henderson and Delph yeah yeah. But you stick James Madison in the three and then you play with a front three of Sancho Sterling and Kane um and a, a flat back four, and you play it like that. Can I ask you, is Madison the player we've been waiting for or missing? I, I really love James Madison. I've seen um, a very little of Leicester this season. I've seen the opening game, I think. Yeah, I've but, seen enough of him to go, he's a footballer, a real yeah, footballer. 21 years old as well. So brave. I, you know what I love more than anything? Footballers who want the football all the time. Footballers yeah. who know that they've got loads of attacking quality, but are constantly coming deep and going, give me the football I want to play and affecting games in that manner. And he's such a he's such a pure playmaker. He reminds me so much of De Bruyne when De Bruyne plays centrally in that he just carries a certain level of maturity and responsibility in his performances. He, you know, everybody's got an option when De Bruyne is on the pitch and everybody I feel as though has an option when James Madison is on the pitch. Now, maybe I'm overhyping it. Maybe Leicester fans will go, it's not that good, mate. But from what I've seen, that's his potential that he can affect games on that level. Mm. So I absolutely want to see him in that kind of number eight-ish role. And then you accommodate Madison. Because that's the other thing. If you play with Ali and, and, and Lingard, you play with two number eights. Well, neither of them are really number eights and neither of them excel in that position. 
And often you just kind of feel like they don't really know what they're doing. And it mm. makes far more sense to play to pure centre midfield players like Henderson and Delph or even Henderson and Dyer or Henderson and Milner or whatever. Like, you know, yeah. pick two like that and have Madison who's absolutely a central playmaker and say, you know what? All the playmaking responsibility is on you. You go and feed the pace of Sancho, the pace of Raz. So, I mean, that's what that's my dream for how this England team begins to to evolve. And um, it can take a free kick as well. So yeah, it would exactly. Be. Yeah, so that's that, that's where I'm at with uh, with this with this team. For uh, do you think that any of them are going to get to kick the football tonight against Croatia? <laughs> I mean, I've seen Gareth Southgate already say that. Um, it will not be an experimental team and it won't be a makeshift team against Croatia because it is technically an uncompetitive competitive game. Yeah, it's a six-point relegation. Six-pointer relegation battle. To, uh, now that's the problem. It's it's not that important a competition, but but it is enough not for him to just to, uh, you know, to put kids on, so to speak. I think Sancho's there for the experience. Don't know. Maybe we'll give him two minutes at the end or something. Who gets that cap? Uh, Madison's more likely because he's doing it in the Premier League. But yeah, you know, has a few years on Sancho. But no, I don't. I, I'm not. I don't think so. Mount, no chance whatsoever. I don't think mm. uh, tonight at least. Uh, so no. If anything, Madison. But I, I think he's going to regress back to you know much of the team that again played in the summer. Yeah, I'll be just. I think I'll be disappointed if he tries to. I think I'll be disappointed if the system remains rigidly, inflexibly the same, and he tries to shoehorn Sancho in in Raz's position for fifteen, or Madison in Ali's position for fifteen, with everything else remaining the same. Because Mm. I think part of the evolution out of the World Cup and into whatever happens next is to develop that system and look at where it fell down, which was basically in its creativity because it was so rigid, um, and maybe figure out how to implant more creativity. And I think the way to do that is to have Raz and Sancho as play them as basically as as wide forwards. Um, so that you've got that double threat of pace <clears throat> on both sides. I think that yeah. would make a, a big difference. Yeah. Okay. Um, bearing in mind how far Croatia got, um, do you think a draw would be a creditable result tonight for England? Or do you expect them to lose? Or do you expect them to win? Uh, I think we're even. Yeah, such that semi-final was a disappointment. We had, it, we had them exactly where we wanted it. And then threw it away, and they were obviously the better side for much of the both extra time, the last half hour, normal time. So God knows, <laughs> uh, yeah, the draw's okay to be honest. As a, but of course, then we have to go to Spain. So because we lost at home to Spain, if we, if you, if anyone's interested in uh, in actually winning the group, and I doubt that many are losing sleep over it, then we have to win tonight. So. Uh, and that's what English would be trying to do, to be honest. But yeah, draw's not a bad result. They are the World Cup finalists. Uh, Mazukic has retired from international football, but obviously plenty of other good players there left behind. Uh, so yeah, 
I just think in an empty stadium, God knows it's going to be a bit weird. Uh, strange atmosphere. Maybe there'll be 2,000 Croatians in there like uh, <laughs> when we went to Moscow. So. But yes. yeah, it's a small stadium here. So it'll be like a training. It's very strange. Mentality will be important because I don't think any of the players will be used to doing it, you know, playing in these conditions. So uh, unlike Croatia, we probably are used to it. So, yeah, I think, really, really, there's no point going there just looking for a draw there. A draw is a creditable result, but we've got to be going to look to uh, to win the game. Excellent. Um, okay, Howard, is there any more business before I wrap this up? No, I need to go and catch up with the Royal Wedding news, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, a couple of things. Uh, transfer. So, uh, City have been... Very quickly. Sorry, Howard. I know you need to run, but I'll be... I don't um, really want to catch up with the Royal Wedding news, so... <laughs> okay, good. Well, uh, this week, um, in the last, actually, 24 hours, Sam Lee's reported that um, City have moved ahead in the race to sign the Ajax pair, Frankie de Jong and uh, Matthias de Ligt. Don't know how to pronounce that, but that's... Good. I'm going to go with that and we'll we'll go with that. Um, Your thoughts then? Have you seen much of them? Yeah, I mean... Obviously I, the latter's the golden boy of... Uh, the you know, the big future talent he's been you know, put forward as at the moment, isn't it? So. Well, I think to be honest with you, um, in the last few months, Frankie de Jong has seemingly become even hotter property than, than Dilit, who's a centre-back... Um, but it's not, it's, yeah, it's not really. A cent- I don't know. I know he's played that delict, but they see him more as defensive midfielder, don't they? More. I don't know a lot saying it was filling in there more than anything. So. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. that. You know, I don't yeah. think. I think from City's perspective. Um, so, firstly, I think just looking at our squad and kind of how it evolves over the next few years. Yeah. Um, if you look at De Jong, I think that we're kind of heading down this road of where we've got two very distinct profiles in terms of players to come in for Fernandinho. So you've got Jorginho, and I think that Ruben Neves at Wolves and Frankie de Jong are very similar profile players. They're not necessarily classic defensive midfielders. They're more like Javi Alonso in that they're kind of playmakers who play from deep and kind of use their positioning and their intelligence rather than their uh, obvious physicality to protect the back four and also use their distribution and their organisation skills. Um, and then I think on the other side, you've got guys like um, the two lads at, at Leon and Dombele and Toussaint, uh, who City have been linked with, who are much more, in my opinion, they've got the, they've got the passing quality but they also have a certain physicality um, and a certain dynamism to their game. Um, and it's a very short comment for me. I think it's going to be very interesting to see in the end what profile City choose to go for, whether they decide to go for De Jong and Neves, player of that profile, or whether they go for somebody who's a little bit more physical in the... Um, in the attributes that they've got. Yeah. I think with the centre-back, with De Ligt, it's a little bit more of a... I don't see centre-back as a pressing position where we're yeah. in desperate need of buying another centre-back. Um, so it's almost one of those where if they decide to spend 60 or 70 million on him, 
then company or Otamendi, one of those two will definitely go next summer. Um, but with De Jong, it's a pressing need as of immediately. And so I can totally see um, City pushing really, really, really hard. And look, Sam Lee's very well connected when it comes to City transfer stories. And if he says that City have moved ahead of Barcelona, you can only imagine that's through Pep's influence and, you know... Yeah his kind of love of Cruyff and, and those two lads playing at Ajax and what that represents and what playing for Guardiola will represent for them and also for their footballing education. I can't see us getting both, though. I just don't see that as realistic. We take two huge talents off one team. I, I think they're going to end up... St- I still, I still think the lift will be, I don't know, defensive midfield. Mm, I, I, I think that... I can see Ajax selling them both next summer. Um I think we should make one team. Yeah, it just seems weird that you take two players off a team. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Two huge talents off a team just seems a bit unrealistic, to be honest. Mm, I do. I think the other thing with Delict, he is uh, represented by Mino Raiola on some level, and that's not to say that we're never going to sign a Raiola player. But I wonder whether. Well, actually, we've got a Raiola player. Philip Sandler is represented by Raiola, Um, but. I wonder whether in a transfer like this, where it's going to be big money, whether City in the end will just look at the Delict situation and go, yeah, if this is going to be an auction where Mino is running around between United, City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, and going, he'll go at the highest bidder. I can see City going, nah, you're all right, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think De Jong is the more important of the two from a positional point of view, anyway. Right. Um, okay, right. Rock and roll, Howard. That was the Friday show. Thank you very much for doing it twice. <laughs> no problem. To everybody who listened, thank you very much for listening. This was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. If you haven't signed up to the 9320 player, we say it every week. Go to our website, check it out, look at some of the shows. If you like them, sign up. It's only £4 a month and you get loads and loads and loads of city-related and football-related podcasts and content every single month. History podcasts, review podcasts, yeah loads of stuff so yeah as we said thanks for listening have a lovely weekend and as always up blues